Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Build Your Network podcast, the only top-rated show committed to helping you grow your business, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Let's get into the show. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another Midweek Mashup. If you're new to the show, the Midweek Mashup is our chance to bring you some of the best guests that we've interviewed here on the show all around one singular topic. So today's topic is the power of persuasion, and we've brought together three of the most powerful persuaders that we could find in our past guest list, and that's going to be Jason Harris. Jason is the author of the book, The Soulful Art of Persuasion, and he's the founder of Mechanism, which is a really large marketing firm based out of the East Coast. Jason's a really good friend of mine and somebody who's actually starting his own podcast uh, very soon. So go check out his new show that's coming out right now. And then the second person we're featuring on today's episode is Brant Pinvidic. Brant is another bestselling author of The Three-Minute Rule, which is essentially a book all about how to pitch your ideas in less than three minutes. So Brant cut his teeth in reality television. He's a reality TV producer from shows like Bar Rescue, uh, Extreme Makeover, Weight Loss Edition, uh, just a couple of the shows that everybody's heard of. Those are Brant's shows. And so the thing that he had to get really good at was learning how to pitch concepts for reality television shows to executives to earn spots so that uh, uh, he could beat out people that are pitching stuff like Shark Tank and all the other big shows that you heard of. Um, so he got really good at that. Now he's partnered with other business people like Oren Claff, who's a master at pitching himself. And now they do kind of corporate consulting and all that kind of stuff on how to pitch your ideas in less than three minutes. And then uh, Chris Voss. Chris is uh, the best-selling author of another book about persuasion and negotiation, which is Never Split the Difference. And if you haven't read the book, you have to read the book if you're in business. You absolutely have to read the book. It's a non-negotiable. You have to pick up a copy of Chris's book. I'm sure you heard of him. If you haven't, you should. And you're going to hear about him here on today's episode. He's a former FBI hostage negotiator, did that for decades before he started his own consulting firm, basically helping other people learn how to take all the taxes they learned in FBI negotiations when you know people's lives are on the line. It's not just losing a big deal, it's losing somebody's life. And um, so they have the best of the best of the best that are working on that. And Chris is one of those guys. So really excited for today's episode, packed, 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 packed with value from some of our best guests, Jason Harris, Brent Pavidic, and Chris Voss. So enjoy today's episode on the power of persuasion. Business partnership, I feel like is one of those things where it can be the thing that takes you from zero to a hundred in a short amount of time, or it can just bend you over and uh, have its way with you. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> I do. how do you, how, how do you make sure, you know what I mean? Like how, how, how do you make sure that it, you're, that you're marrying the right person? That's really what it is, right? It's marriage. It is definitely marriage. You need to make sure you can also get out of the marriage. Mm. And so you need to, you know, have a, a good uh, corporate lawyer drafting that agreement that makes it easy to easy to you know exit if if someone wants to, and easy for you to to not have the whole thing dissolve, like because it doesn't always have to stay together because it doesn't always work out, but you just need that paper that doesn't create tension if something goes wrong. Always, yeah. always, always get it in writing, even. When you don't think that you have to do it anyway, because that's usually when it's the worst is, is when it's like a family member or a best friend or something like that. And you're just like, oh, well, we're, we're, we're homies, you know, we can just, you know, have a be a verbal handshake deal. Don't do it. 
get it in writing and explicitly lay out each person's responsibility uh, so that there's no confusion on that in the future. Yeah, you always need to game worst case scenario. And most likely if you game worst case scenario, it won't happen. If you ignore it, that's when thing, that's when it will that's when it will that's when it tends to happen like the yeah. the things that have gone that have blown up friendships for me are gone the way the buffalo are when it's not in writing there's not clear communication and one person thinks one thing and the other person thinks something else and then it just sort of blows up and then you're really then it creates more tension because you don't have a way out Sure. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing about relationships, man. And obviously this is build your network. We talk a lot about relationship building and, um, and connecting with people on a high level and how to do it the right way and all that good stuff. And, um, you know, there, there is anything in life that's that rewarding and awesome is equally as not rewarding and not awesome. That's kind of the reason why things are awesome. You know what I mean? Is like, the reason relationships are awesome is because of all the work that you have to put into them to make them that way. Do you have any advice on how to stay on the same page when it comes to, you know, this could be a business partnership or maybe just a referral partner, basically working with people and building those relationships continuously at a high level. I know that you, you know, you're constantly hanging out with people who are like leveling up their game. And, you know, I see, uh, I see you, you know, the people that you hang out with on Instagram and stuff like that. And, um, you're, you're, this is obviously something that's really important to you and you do it at a really high level. So I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. I mean, I think the, I think the, I would use the same advice, which I actually talk about a little bit in my book, which is, um, on a macro level, never let relationships drop to zero and always keep relationships top of mind. I I literally have a, a skill that I do in my work five day work week which is I have 20 minute blocks every day where I reach out to three people in my network. And it doesn't have to be, you know, people overthink this reaching out to your network thing. It can be like, I know that you love at-home fitness. I'm gonna send you this article on this product. I know that you are into chess. I'm gonna show you how, I'm gonna send you this thing about how Queen's Gambit made chess sales blow off the charts. I'm always sort of collecting information, books, articles, like so oftentimes when I buy a book, I'll buy, I'll just buy two or three. Like I just bought a, you know, think like a monk, oh, yeah. that book. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So I bought like, I knew I was going to like it before I bought it. I bought like four copies. So there's three people I'm going to send that to and FedEx it to that I think would get a lot of use out of that book. And so I, I'm always sort of thinking about that in a networked way and, you know, being, it's like anything you think you don't have to be disciplined, but discipline drives habit and habit drives success of building that network. And it doesn't have to be, you know, sending a book to someone with a little note takes about five minutes yeah, and right. popping an article to them when you're thinking about them, you know, takes 10 seconds and that people it's just saying you're top of mind and i'm thinking about you it doesn't have to be carving out an hour for a conversation you know in our busy schedule but just keeping people top of mind and and thinking about your network in that way really um keeps that network thriving and alive and and not letting relationship drop to zero because when you do it's really hard to unwind time and and remember 
their likes and dislikes and get back in touch with them. So that's one thing I implement. And as it goes to the partnership thing, it's similar in that we will have two of my partners are on the West Coast and I'm on the East Coast with another partner here. And we will have monthly meetings that are blocked. It's like the first Friday of every month, it's blocked out. And we, it, it, there's no agenda. It's like open discussion where we just sort of free form where we all are, how we think the business is, what areas of improvement we need uh, to be doing. And it gets, uh, it's, a, it's a time where you can save up issues you have or things you want to discuss. And you know there's an outlet for that. And it creates an outlet where you're not holding on to resentment because you never talked about that one thing or that department you started or that person that this person hired that you don't think you should have. And that is, um, is very freeing and it can get intense and heated, but you get it out there and off your chest and you know there's an appointment for it. And it's like any relationship and it's obvious, but it's important. You know, communication and habits, you know, build success. Yeah, I absolutely love that advice, man. That one piece there could be worth the entire podcast for somebody listening right now because there's so, so many people that could have an amazing business if it weren't for a bad partnership or a, a partnership that went sour just because of something simple, lack of communication or uh, maybe lack of uh, of of uh, respect that happened in a certain situation that people's egos get fractured and relationships get burnt and bridges collapse. And then all of a sudden you're sitting there trying to pick up the pieces of a broken company and the pieces of a broken relationship, which a lot of times hurts even worse than the actual company itself. So I really appreciate, really appreciate the insights there. I want to talk to you a little bit before we go about, um, about the book specifically. Um, sure. And I want to encourage as many people that are listening right now to go check out the soulful art of persuasion. One thing that I, uh, liked and picked up on with your book specifically, Jason, is that there's a lot of trainings and, and things out there on influence and persuasion that are are leaning into the, you know, hardcore, you know, closing mentality of a yeah. used car salesman in the 1980s. And I that's why I like the name of your book, The Soulful Art of Persuasion, because it's telling you that you don't have to be that way in order to persuade and persuade effectively. It's not even like it's not even like one of them is, you know, down here and then this other one is up here. It's this is actually a better form of persuasion. It's going to get you better results in the long term and probably better results in the short term, but uh, it might be a little bit more difficult to master because you can't just read a script and say this exact thing when somebody's feeding you this objection or whatever the case may be. So um, I'd love to hear uh, before we wrap up just a couple of the quick things that that are top of mind for you when it comes to teaching persuasion, but in a different way than mainstream, you know, trainers would teach the the same topic. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the fundamental like, like, building block of the house that I see it is this idea of, of, you know, be yourself. Everyone else has already taken mm -hmm. and understand your value system, write down your value system, know what you, who you are as a person, what you respond to, how you communicate with people and put yourself out there. This idea of sort of mirror and matching your audience and closing a sale and getting someone to like you, is um, old, it's old thinking. And what people respond to today are people that really know who they are and can communicate who they are and understand that. It allows the other person to be vulnerable so they can do the same with you. And that builds a, a really good relationship and a connection, even if your interests aren't similar. Mm -hmm. And even if, if they're not 
um, always aligned, it creates this um, trust because yeah. you're not afraid to be yourself. And, you know, people have really good bullshit detectors and it might sound what you're saying might sound good, but inside they're feeling a sense of, of you being inauthentic. And yeah. that's really the, the big building block uh, to me of, of soulful persuasion. And uh, there's obviously a lot more to it. I talk about 11 specific habits in the book, but uh, you know, another one is having a generous mindset which I didn't have when I started out in business. This was a, a habit I had to learn. This was something I had to really practice. I would not give away advice freely or contacts or information or counsel or mentorship. But I realized by giving those things away and building your network that way and um, trying, whenever you path cro- cross paths with someone, trying to, make the interaction with them a good one and that they get something out of it and doing that habitually and learning to practice that comes back in multiple, multiple ways down the road. And that generosity of spirit is something that it can be a learned skill and that will take you really far in many places. And it's not about keeping things close to your vest. It's about being open and free with your information, with your advice, and that really will get you far. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is, uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is, is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. I, I find the same exact thing. Anytime I, I write a handwritten thank you or something like that to somebody, yeah. it, there's no financial things. You don't have to buy them something. You just send them, hey, thanks for coming on the show. Really yeah. appreciate your and time. You, but you got to know who to send that to. Yeah, here's the, the thing. Particular person. Yeah, like if you, if you meet me, and we're not peers. Yeah, 
and you send that to me, it's like, I know you're trying to get to be my friend because I'm at a certain level and you're mm. new. Like that happens, mm. okay? You gotta know who and where your peer level is. And I was in on a conference just the other day and, I, and there's a guy talking about how to make connections and how to reach out to people on in LinkedIn and tell them that you, you know, what you can do for them, find value for them. And it's like, I get that two years ago. Yeah. That might've worked, but now it's like everybody who sends me an email or reaches out blindly on LinkedIn or or Twitter or whatever is trying to provide value for me. Yeah. Well, it's like, guess what? You can't, right? Yeah. And it's not fair to everybody think that you got it. You can't provide value to me. Yeah. Some people can, and the people who can provide value to me aren't reaching out. They just do it. They, they're, they're beyond what I'm doing. They right. want, you know, it's like, that's the world. You want to hang out in the crowd with the, at the party with sure. the people who don't want you there. Sure. That's the way our lives are. You got to accept that. So when you find peers, that's who you reach out to. When it's not your peer, it's okay to reach out to somebody on LinkedIn and say, hey, listen, I'm a big fan. I think what you do is great. I'm just starting out. I could really use some advice. I can't do anything for you. Yeah. I can't bring value to your life. But if you'd be willing to help me out a little bit, you know, any advice would be great. That will make more of an impression with me than anybody who sends me like, I can do this for you. I can mm. do that for you. Yeah. Let's work together. Let's cross over. Like I'm just, the world is very cynical. So you gotta be careful with that. And so the gestures that you do in the efforts to make connections, you gotta be really careful because people will sense that. And you gotta yeah. know where you sit in the peer level, you know? Got it. And you're always gonna be quote unquote faking it up one level mm -hmm. i still do it today yeah you yeah. know the people on the in my world that i'm friends with it's like i'm i've reached to get up to that level right, now right. they're doing the same thing and to your credit like yeah to put yourself in those positions to be able to capitalize right. on like what, what you're saying earlier about yeah finding yourself in that room where yeah. this guy is, is asking you for advice on something and you're just kind of like Oh, um, you know, yeah. here is the answer. Well, and I, you know? I have this, when I talk about social media and I do a sort of a seminar on that kind of stuff, but I, my first slide in the seminar is, I am not as rich and famous as you think I am. <laughs> That's just a fact. And nobody really is, yeah. okay? Nobody actually is, and that's just the way our lives are. Right. And I'm not as important. I don't wield as much power as people think. It's just not the way we're, and nobody really does. That's right. the funny thing. So. Right. You gotta kind of accept that in your world mm. and and be okay with that. And yeah, you know what, online you you play imagery, you play perception, and I talk a lot about creating perception, which is great. You want to create perception, mm. but perception and work go hand in hand. That's the secret to success, yeah. not just perception. Because there are a lot of people online, on Instagram right now, Instagram entrepreneurs, and all they do is perception. Mm -hmm. There's no business there. Right. Making Which, content for people who can't afford to hire you exactly. is not a business. Exactly. So that's what I was going to say is the people who are real sniff those people out in a second. In a second. Yeah. And, and like, they're, they're, you're, only, yes. you're, only, you're only convincing the people who can't even afford to pay you for anything. That's right. And right. those yeah. people get smaller and smaller because they've already fallen for clickbait a few yeah, times. They've right. already been through a funnel once, once or twice. Yeah. So now there's less Turn of them burn. out there. Yep. And everybody's chasing those people to the bottom, which is just crazy. Right. It's like what we used to do in the nightclub game. You know, you'd open a new nightclub, the cool people would show up, you'd, you'd turn around and turn away all these other people. Then the cool people are like looking for the next thing. So then you have to let in a few of the B-level people. And then that shows people that, oh, I don't want to be there anymore. And then those yeah. people leave. Next thing you know, you're chasing around anybody who'll come into your club, right? And that's sort of what that on, the online entrepreneur is. Where yeah. And 
you know, two things. One, the book did really well, so that helps. I get to meet everybody. That, you know, it's with Random House, so a big publisher can put you in the room with anybody, which sure. is kind of cool. So I get to meet everybody. But also, I did this for a living. Like, I, 20 years almost, I ran, a, you know, major television productions in a big high level. So yeah. I know talent. I know perception of talent. I know what the public thinks, what the public wants. I know your Q scores. I know what you say your influence is, but what your real influence is. I needed sure. to trade on real influence. So I can see through all this crap. And this the number of people who are in phony pretend mode is so scary and so crazy. Yeah. And there's very few people because the people who are actually making a business are not going online to give you a free ebook. Yeah. It's just right. those people don't do that. Right. It's like I, I might give you some free content or whatever, but like I don't need anything from you. Right. If you need to pay nineteen ninety five to get into my email list, you can't benefit from the information I have hmm. like consistently from that. You need you need to grow more, you need to yeah. build more. Like I, it's just a weird thing that we've gotten to this thing. It's like a, it's almost like a glorified infomercial now, where it's sure. like, give me your money, it's sign up to my exactly group, I'll send you some <laughs> just an online info. Yeah, I'll send you some motivation and some ideas and how to get rich and how to build your own funnels. And it's like, okay, I, Tom Vu was doing that for real estate like twenty years ago. Yeah. Like it's the same. It feels like the same thing. Right. Totally. So now I, I like that you brought this up because um, that's one thing that, that I try to tell people, but not a lot of people are comfortable with accepting that it's a fact, which is what you're talking about in terms of knowing who your peers are, like yeah. reaching up to a level above you, things like that. Um, but a lot of people just don't want to admit that there's levels. And for some reason, it, there's, it's clear, right? There's very clear levels of uh, yes. success that people are operating on. So how do you, like if somebody's out there listening right now and they're like, okay, so I, I've, we've talked about a couple of things that I shouldn't do. What should I do if I if I want to try to get up that that one step higher? It, the one step is easy. It's the two steps that's difficult. And what people think is they can move to the to second step and skip a step, hmm. right? And you know, and I have it in my world. I like I have a lot of I have some celebrity friends and yada yada, right? But there is a different level of celebrity friend that I know that I can't get to. Uh, Mark Cuban's a perfect example. Mm. Worked with him, known him for years. I would tell you we're friends yeah. because it makes me look cool because Mark Cuban's <laughs> my friend. Yeah. Mark Cuban would not tell you we're friends. Yeah. If you're like, hey, Brant Pimbidic, he'd be like, oh yeah, yeah, that's it. Right. I can't reach, I can reach out directly to him, but it better be something right. of value. We're not peers in the sense that I can just call him up and say, what's up? Like, there's none of that, okay? <laughs> so I know he's two steps from me. Hmm because of the way his sort of world has gone. Sure. So I'm very respectful of that. And so that gives me the access to the relationship, but I don't step over that. So when I have something that's general to go to him about, I go through the agent. Hmm. When I have something that's specific, I'll send him a text or something. But I understand where I sit with that. Now, yeah. Mark Cuban pre-Shark Tank, that's different. Hmm. Gary Vaynerchuk, that's different. And by the way, for a lot of people, he's getting close. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Because he's starting to be a pop culture celebrity. Sure. So I've already dialed back the messages, how much I talk. Like, I don't treat him like we're buddies because we're not buddies. Yeah. And that's, and that's a different thing. People have a real hard time with that. But on the first level of connection, people that are within your circle, still a little bit up in hmm. success and status and connections... Um, my partner, Oren Claff, wrote a great book called Flip the Script. Mm -hmm. And it talks a lot about what's called a flash roll. We talk about it differently, but he talks about a flash roll, which is, hey, I'm going to show you that 
I operate on your level. We're gonna talk shop for the first 30 seconds here so I can give you a sense of like, I'm at this level with you. Hmm. And that's a really important piece to be able to do. It's it's the classy version and the, the functional version of dropping names. Hmm. How do you drop names without, in the literal sense, dropping names? How do you drop names as in, how do you drop knowledge on someone so they know you're someone that actually does something. If you were gonna to talk to somebody about a, doing a podcast, you could talk podcast lingo yeah. and language and details. And now all of a sudden I know that you're like, you're in this world, right? When I meet somebody, I'm, you know, I'm quick to, to suss out where they, where they are, what they do, what we have in common, what skills, what areas, what do we cross over in? And when I lay that out, it's like, okay, now I know what to think about you. And that's the perception I want. Now you gotta go put in the work. So, so how much of that you know, initial 30 seconds is the words that we say, you know, showing expertise versus our body language, the, like the way that we look, the tonality that we use. Unfortunately, and this has been hard for people to grasp, is you can't really have one without the other. Hmm. If you have the body language and the attitude, but without the ability to back it up with what you say, people will know it's phony. Hmm. Then you're working on your quote unquote confidence. Confidence that you build is, that's not confidence, that's a show. People know when a show's on. Hmm. Confidence is the value that you feel you bring to others. So if you, and I use this example on stage, let's say I was gonna cater your wedding. Hmm. And for a chef, I had Gordon Ramsay. And I was walking in to pitch you and your bride-to-be. How many words would I need to convince you, right? Four words, I have Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> Think about how I walk into that room. Think about how my shoulders are. Are they slunched over or am I back? Right. Am I smiling or am I kind of dead face, right? Right. right. Because I know the value of what like, I'm about to say. You know you got the goods. That's right. Yeah. So I don't use a lot of words. I probably speak pretty clearly. Yeah. I probably got bright eyes and a happy face. Not my afraid chest to make is eye up. Contact. That's right, yeah. I'm in that mode. If it was my brother-in-law, ex-convict, who just got out of jail, doesn't really cook, but needs a job, <laughs> how many words do I need to convince you of that? A couple hours. Right. Yeah, maybe days. Now, how do I walk in that room? Now, there's yeah. two people. One person walks in the room the way they really feel, which is a little slunched over, and like their hands are clenched, right? Yeah, right. And you know. And then the show guy. And then there's the show guy yeah. who comes in to try to pitch you his convict ex-brother-in-law with the yeah. same attitude. This is going to be the best thing. And they've got yeah. the big chest out <laughs> and a big smile. Now, do you know that right away? Do you sense that? Does your bride-to-be go like, Ugh, I do not like this guy, Yeah, right? Just That's the way the real world works. Yeah. And it used to be very, very few people would pick up on that. Yeah. And if we had a time machine and go back to the early 80s, we could pull all that stuff off. But today, people are waiting yeah. for you to start with the bullshit. They are just expecting it. They've been bombarded with marketing and promises and under delivers and clickbait and click funnels. And they're just like, yeah, go F yourself. That's their <laughs> go-to model now. Right. Oh, you're gonna promise me something? Yeah, I don't believe you. Yeah. That's exactly what happens now. So how do we differentiate ourselves? Well, I think that's what, you know, the book for all the great elements of how to build a pitch, one of the core pieces that I get the most feedback on is it's the simplicity, hmm. right? It's how to say less and get more. Yeah. And I'll give you an example. In the early 1900s, Niagara Falls froze, okay? This raging, angry torrent of water that filled the air with this rambling sound. It was just an angry vortex of sound for years and years and years. Finally, 
shut off in the mm-hmm. middle of the night. 3.30 in the morning, the 5,000 people that live in Niagara are bolted out of their beds. The entire town's awake because for the first time, they heard something. The silence of the falls freezing was the loudest sound they had heard in years because they living there just tuned out that raging water. Mm, In today's world, marketing, promises, advertising, all that stuff is absolute and total raging torrent of water of information that everybody just tunes out. But if you can simplify your message and get to the point and not color it with neuro-linguistic programming or fancy language or big adjectives, Hmm. you will cut through and it will be the loudest sound that people hear anywhere because they will absolutely be drawn to it. Yeah, so can you talk a a little bit about tactical empathy, which is I think what you you call it in in the book and how that really plays into any real negotiation and not even just negotiation, just communication in general. Yeah, if you want influence with somebody, And some of this is stuff we've been taught for years, but we just didn't know it. You got to hear them out. You got to sound them out. You got to let them know they've been heard. I mean, the cliche Stephen Covey advice, seek first to understand, then be understood. Seek first to show understanding in order to be understood. I mean, the quickest way to get your point across is to clear the other person's head. And the minute they feel heard, their head clears. They stop focusing on making sure you heard what they had to say. And consequently, their brain just opens up and is they're eminently influenceable at that point. So empathy is just demonstrating to the other side what it is about they said, what they've said that you get. There's no doubt in their mind that you get it because you told them what they're trying the point they're trying to make. And how does that play into labeling? Like with are those somewhat similar activities or how would you break that down? Yeah, well, labeling uh, starts out as a demonstration of understanding of not what they said, but how they feel about it or what's driving them, what their motivations are. And most people are, are their, their motivations are either hidden or blind. So when you start calling them out in the open, it actually creates this kind of really strange bonding effect between the two of you, and it opens them up to influence. Now, what we call labeling in hostage negotiation, we called emotion labeling, and I thought it was the least applicable skill from hostage negotiation. I didn't have much use for it. I knew it was ridiculously influential in, in, on the crisis hotline and on hostage negotiation, but I didn't think it would make much difference in business. As it turns out, it's actually our most valuable skill in our business negotiations, and we changed the dynamic with this skill we refer to as labels, which seems innocuous, which is one of the reasons it's so effective because it kind of blows past people's defense mechanisms and we use it to get them to say stuff they would never say otherwise. So can you give me an example of what that would sound like? Like pick up just a situation that somebody listening to this show might be sitting in in some sort of a business transaction where they could actually apply this idea of labeling. All right, so there's a go-to label that will work for you no matter what the circumstances are. And it is... Seems like you've given that a lot of thought. Now, in any, you're going to be able to use that no matter. Somebody could be attacking you. You cheated me. You didn't live up to your end of the bargain. Your company overcharges. You look at them and you say, seems like you've given us a lot of thought. They're going to lay out in intimate detail what they're talking about. Now, you're, what's that contrasted to? Let's say that you're actually trying to find out where they're coming from. A good opening question might be, what happened? What makes you say that? 
Now, there's a problem. As soon as you ask somebody any kind of a question, their guard goes up to some degree, and they want to stop and think. I mean, a good what question makes people stop and think. Now, what you really want from them is an unvarnished stream of consciousness. You don't want them to stop and think. You want them to think, to talk without thinking about what they're saying, because that's when they start revealing stuff to you that they might not otherwise give you if their guard is up. So we're trying to get people to respond to us in a really unguarded fashion. And what we found is questions cause people's guards to go up, which means no matter how good of an answer they give you, they're holding stuff back. And that's why you use, at the beginning, you said it seems like, right? Because you don't want to make it, you don't want to say that this is what you're portraying to me. You just want to say it in a general sense of maybe somebody listening that isn't even a part of this conversation. It would seem this way, right? Is that kind of the gist? Right, right. You kind of actually, you bypass part of the brain and get a much clearer stream of consciousness because what happens when you say it seems like or looks like it sounds like or it feels like people then start thinking about your observation and then they start thinking out loud and they start they give you their stream of consciousness right it's not accusatory if you say it that way it's not accusatory and it also some people's guard goes up like i can pose it as a question it seems like you've given us a lot of thought now the tonality is questioning but since i started out with seems like it immediately starts to trigger people, especially people who are averse to talking at all. I mean, it's one of the one of our clients calls it unlocking the floodgates of truth talk because it just gets people talking. Incredible. How important, since you brought up tonality, I know you talk about the 738-55 rule in the book. Can you explain what that means really quickly and talk about the importance of tonality in body language? Well, you know, there's all sorts of data out there that indicates the impact of tonality. And, they, you know, they say the non-content, other than the definition of the words, how much communication is other than the words? How much is body language? How much is tone of voice? And some people will say up to 90%, 93%. You know, very few people will peg it at less than 60%. But no matter what, the ratios are always four or five to one, tonality. And most people get tonality wrong. Like... I may lay out a proposition for you and I may try to say, does this work for you? And I, my tone of voice says, it works for you. And if you don't see it that way, you're an idiot. Or I could say, does this work for you? Or does this work for you? You know, I put my tonality in two different spots there as if I was actually asking. I said it three different ways. I use the exact same words. One of them was impatient, judgmental. The other two were inquiring and genuinely curious. And you get three completely different reactions. And you start beginning to choose your tonality and your inflection. You'd be shocked with what you can get away with saying to people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've, since reading the book, basically been implementing a lot of these different things and even a lot of my emails and um, conversations, some difficult conversations that I've had to have with people where there's been a lack of agreement or a lack of execution on an agreement. 
And it's incredible how some of these tools and tactics disarm people who are coming at you. People who you think are you thinking like there's zero chance that this guy's going to be reasonable at any time soon. And then literally just saying one or two of these things and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we're oh, we're talking again. We're normal people again. Like that that level of rage is just taken down instantly by applying just a little bit of tactical empathy and labeling their emotions for them. And then all of a sudden just like, oh, okay, now we can talk. Now the guard's down. Now let's have a conversation. And it's it's just incredible to me. So one of one of my favorite things that you talk about is calibrated questions, calibrated statements. Can you tell me about when you first realized that these were a really powerful tool to use? Yeah. I mean, I, w- I kind of suspect that it was going back to this kidnapping where things went bad. You know, I couldn't completely understand how they had gone bad, what we had done wrong, what we need to do better. And at about the same time, um, one of the, uh, I stumbled across Jim Camp's book, Start With No. And Jim Camp was very much into, he calls them interrogatives, but they're open-ended questions, but he refines the list down. He really sticks to mostly what question. He doesn't say this per se in his book. And I ended up working with Jim, both Jim and his son, and had a great relationship with both of them. And I thought both were brilliant, but he really narrows it down to what questions. So in our kidnapping, I had known that somebody got our hostages on the phone, and that's a proof-of-life move, and no kidnapping negotiator I worked with had ever gotten anybody on the phone. And I remember thinking at the time, who did it, and how did they do it? And so then a couple of months after this had gone down, and I'd run across Camp's book that focused on what and how questions, I'm listening to a drug dealer in Pittsburgh whose girlfriend had been kidnapped. and. If you, somebody in your family has been kidnapped, who do you go to? You go to the FBI, even if you're a drug dealer. <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah. So this drug dealer is driving around Pittsburgh with FBI hostage negotiators in his car. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a joke, right? Three drug dealers and two <laughs> hostage negotiators walk into a bar. Yeah. But uh, you know, the drug dealer hasn't got all the sophisticated training. And so on his own, he asks a perfect how question. Calibrated question, which is now what we call them. A question is calibrated for effect, calibrated to change the dynamic. And he says to the drug dealer that's got his girlfriend, he says, hey, dog, how do I even know she's alive? And there's this long silence on the other end of the line. You could just feel something getting ready to happen. And a drug dealer on the other end of the phone says, I'll, I'll put her on the phone. Now, not only have they just negotiated getting a hostage on the phone, which I have never done, up to that point, but it was untrained guys. And, but the tonality was that the power dynamic shifted completely in that moment. And the guy that asked the how question now had the upper hand and the guy with the hostage had lost the upper hand and he didn't know that he lost the upper hand. That was the key. And I remember he had a couple of years later, somebody said to me, yeah, the secret to gaining the upper hand and and a negotiation is given the other side the illusion of control. And I said to myself, that is exactly what we do with how and what questions. We calibrate them so that we will gain the upper hand and the other side has no idea what we've just done to them. And that was really the beginning of appreciating what those did. 
Hey, hey, thanks for listening to this episode. That's it for today. As you all know, this show is completely free. Our only ask is that if you found anything valuable in this episode or in any of the episodes you've listened to, then share it with somebody else and leave us a quick rating review in whatever platform you're listening to right now. It would be super, super helpful for us. Uh, So that's it for today, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. Catch you next time. Okay, here's how Miro works. See, it's amazing. What's everyone doing at David's desk? Ever since marketing started using Miro's collaborative online whiteboard, he thinks all our other teams should sign up. Why? He says Miro's making his meetings disappear. And if every team gets on it, that means even less meetings. They're using Miro for brainstorms, mind maps, customer research. So could we use Miro instead of having another 100 meetings for every round of feedback? Yep. You can comment, react to ideas, even leave a recording on the board. And what about presentations? There are Miro templates for that. How do you know so much about Miro? I've actually been using it all along. I just used a Miro board to plan the best vacation. Okay, I'm on board. See how Miro users save up to 80 hours every year by meeting less and doing more. Get on board at Miro.com with three boards free forever. That's M-I-R-O.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.